This morning's scripture reading comes from John chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. This is God's word. For the last several months, we've been looking at the gospel according to John. And the Gospel according to John teaches us who is Jesus Christ. And throughout the second half of this book, we learn that John's emphasis as the days wind down and head towards the death of Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ. And John is really challenging us. Do we believe the love of Christ? Do we experience this grace of God in Christ? Now, in this passage, we have Mary, who is the sister of Lazarus and Martha. Who we, if you were here last week, we learned that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Mary does something so costly, so remarkable. Everybody around her, including the disciples, are absolutely indignant. But Jesus Christ honors her. Because the only reason why she does it is she believes. The only reason why she does this is because she's experienced She's seen Jesus. She's experienced the grace of God. She gets it. What does she do? There are two points today, two lessons. First, Mary surrenders. And secondly, Mary sees. Mary surrenders to Jesus. Mary sees who Jesus is. And as a result, she loses herself to discover who she really is. She dies to herself to discover her true potential in life. So first, Mary surrenders. Jesus is at the house of Simon the leper, and there's a dinner held in his honor. And Lazarus, who Jesus just raised from the dead, Lazarus is present. Lazarus is there. And then all of a sudden, Mary enters. And in verse 3, she does three things. They're absolutely horrific, absolutely disgraceful to the people around her. So offensive, but absolutely remarkable. And Jesus honors her. Now, what does she do? First, she pours out a pound, about a liter of pure nard. It's an intense perfume, very difficult to acquire, and as a result, incredibly expensive. And she pours it on Jesus' feet. Now, most likely, where do you get something like this? Most likely, it was a family heirloom that was passed down from generation to generation, much like an engagement ring that's often passed down. Very, very expensive. It's passed down oftentimes to hedge against disaster, kind of like an insurance policy, an investment that you kept to secure you in the face of disaster or ruin. 
And, and so as she pours this out, the smell aerates throughout the house, and the crowd is aghast. The crowd is absolutely horrified. And Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' disciples, asks a very logical question. In verse 4 to 5, he says, this is worth a year's wages. Why? This could have been sold. The money could have been given to the poor. Why are you doing this? In other words, what he's saying is, what a waste. What a waste of money. The act was so outrageous. Everybody around her is indignant. They rebuke her harshly. They're yelling at her. The second thing she does is she pours it. She pours this perfume on Jesus' feet. Now, if you think about it, in these ancient times, it was a time before deodorant. And we're living in the Middle Eastern uh, culture where the climate was very, very thick and heavy and hot. And you had these ancient roads that were filled with trash because there were no uh, waste management systems back then. So people literally were known to throw their trash, their waste, outside of their windows, outside of their homes, onto the street. And so if you're walking towards a, a banquet, if you're walking to another person's house, you're literally wading through trash and waste. And so your feet were considered the dirtiest part of your body. And if you enter into a home to have dinner, knowing that your feet have waded through all this trash as we prepare for lunch, right? As we walk through this trash, you enter into a home. If your feet smell, it was incredible. It pretty much ruined the entire meal. So you brought perfumes with you. Or the servants of the home would have perfumes with them ready to pour on your feet so that the smell would at least overpower any of the negative smell, the bad smell that your feet would bring with you. So what this woman does is this Mary, she comes in and she pours this perfume on Jesus' feet, this expensive perfume. Now, dealing with somebody's feet back then was considered one of the most offensive and demeaning things. In fact, there were laws in many communities, many districts in that area. There were laws designed so that servants did not have to even touch your feet because it was so demeaning. Even a, it was demeaning even for a slave. And yet, what does Mary do? She pours this, this perfume on Jesus' feet. And the third thing she does, and this is what horrified everybody, she lets down her hair and she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. She lets her hair down. It's considered a disgrace because you only, a woman, the hair of a woman was considered her glory. It's what made the woman beautiful. And so you adorned your hair, but you also tied it up. You only let down your hair in private. It was your glory. It was a private glory. You never did this in front of strangers and you absolutely never did this in front of somebody who was a male, particularly men. The hair was your private glory, a private honor. It made you feel beautiful. What does Mary do? She pours out this expensive perfume. Everybody's horrified. She pours it on Jesus' feet. Everybody's horrified. She lets down her hair and wipes Jesus' feet. Her glory against what is most offensive, his smell, the dirt, the trash, the waste, ends up in her hair. And it's his feet that are clean. Everyone's aghast. Now, why did she do this? It goes against logic. It goes against reason. Absolutely remarkable. She's getting yelled at. But pouring out the perfume, really what she's saying is what? I am willing to give up my security. I'm willing to give up my advancement for you. By pouring it onto Jesus' feet, she's saying, I'm willing to lower myself. I'm willing to give up my social standing. I'm willing to put myself lower than what is the dirtiest part of who you are. 
And by wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, what she's saying is, I'm willing, by, in this patriarchal, male-dominated society, she's saying, I'm willing to lower myself. I'm willing to give up my glory. In this patriarchal society, in this male-dominated, class- and status-oriented society where women had absolutely no rights, Jesus honors a woman. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus honors her. And in this religious society, it's a woman that's willing to demonstrate surrender. It's a woman that's willing to demonstrate sacrifice. In a world where women's pride was their hair, where beauty was considered the only asset that's, that's important for a woman, not much different than today and often, uh, often. It's this woman that says there's nothing more important, nothing more important than surrendering and sacrificing to Jesus. And as a result, everybody's yelling at her because they don't see it. They, the world says, you never give up your security. You never give up your identity. You never give up your glory. Jesus says, leave her alone. In Mark, chapter, in, in Mark, he says, leave her alone. She has done a beautiful thing for me. And he honors her. Now, this perfume is saying, I'm willing to give up whatever is my comfort, whatever is my security for you. This perfume represented security for generations to come. Now, we're going to look at that and we say, that kind of is a waste, right? I mean, there are better ways to spend that. There are more logical, reasonable ways that we could have spent that money. Jesus says the only reason why she would have done this, the only reason why she would have given up all of this is because she gets who I am. She gets it. And as a result, she demonstrates radical generosity. In Mark chapter 10, you want to know about radical generosity? In Mark chapter 10, Jesus encounters a rich young ruler. This rich young ruler, a small king, and uh, this rich young ruler approaches Jesus and asks, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you begin by obeying the law, the Ten Commandments. And he starts reiterating the law. And the man has the audacity to say, but I've done all these things. Tell me, what do I need to do? What else do I need to do? He's coming to Jesus to improve. He's coming to Jesus as a supplement to this good life that he believes he's living and a good life that he believes he deserves. And Jesus says, okay. First of all, it says he looks at this man and he loves him. He has compassion on this man because the man doesn't get it. He doesn't look down on him. He doesn't beat him up. He says, I'll tell you what you can do. Go sell everything you have and then give up your money to the poor and follow me. And the text immediately says after that this man went away sad. He went away grieving. Why? Because he had great wealth. Mary says, there is nothing that you can't ask of me. There is absolutely nothing, no act of devotion that you can't ask of me. Reminded of this story, this anecdotal story of Helen Rosevere, a famous missionary to Africa. Helen Rosevere was known, whenever asked or challenged on a certain thing, to sit back and think and consider whether or not what's being asked of her is worth it. And so she would weigh out whether or not something was worth it. And if something did amount to worth, some level worth, some amount of worth, then she would willingly, gladly sacrifice. Now, after years of being in Africa and having been raped repeatedly by people in the tribe, at one point she was so down on herself, she gets down on her knees and she asks, is this really worth it? 
all this trouble, all this sacrifice, sacrificing my body and my dignity and my soul. And she says at that moment, for that moment, she told herself, it can't be worth it. This is not worth it. And she writes in her memoirs that a still small voice came to her at that time. Helen Rosevere, calling out to her, Helen Rosevere, the question is not, is it worth it? The question is, am I worth it? And there Helen Rosevere responds, oh yes, Lord, you are worth it. I am not worthy. Pouring this perfume on Jesus' feet, Mary is saying that there is no act of devotion that is beneath my pride, beneath my worth, beneath my dignity. There were laws to protect slaves from certain dirty jobs, but it's John the Baptist who says, the one who's coming, I'm not even worthy to unlatch his sandals, his feet. And Mary lets down her glory and wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. Radical generosity, radical humility. She's saying, I'm lower than your feet. I'm lower than the dirtiest part of you. Take me as lower than a slave. In other words, Mary, in coming to Jesus, dropped the idea that she deserved a better life. She wasn't coming to Jesus to improve. She wasn't coming to Jesus to supplement her life. She didn't believe she's already been living well and needed just a little bit more to get her over the top. She dropped altogether the idea of a better life. She says, there's nothing beneath my dignity. There's no one that you will call before me that is beneath my dignity. And she wipes her feet, his feet with her hair. And she says, I'm disgracing myself. I know everybody's yelling at me. Everybody's going to be indignant about this. My family may look at this and say that I'm crazy, but I will deny this. I will lay down my honor for your honor, my glory for your glory, no matter what the cost is, no matter what the security I'm giving up, no matter what status I'm giving up. That's a radical confidence. You have a radical generosity. You have a radical humility. You have a radical confidence. A beautiful picture. If you want to know what it means to, be, to see a biblical picture of femininity, this is a beautiful picture of biblical womanhood. In a patriarchal society where most of this would have been written off, 2,000 years later, we're still talking about this woman. And when you say, I'm willing to give up my security, my social identity, my glory for you, what, you, what are you doing? You're worshiping. She's saying, Jesus, I worship you. We're saying, I'm willing to do anything for you. You're saying, Jesus, you are my treasure. What are you willing to do anything for in your life? What are you willing to do to sacrifice everything you have, even the people that you love for, until you surrender to Jesus Christ and say, you owe me nothing. I owe you everything. You will never have a radical generosity you will never have a radical humility. You will never have a radical confidence. And until you say that, you're not really following Jesus. There are lots of people in the church who study Jesus. There are lots of people in the church who theologize about Jesus. There are lots of people in the church who live very, very good lives, very well-intentioned. There are lots of people in the church who like to pray, who go to Bible study. But... I, I often wonder if there's an increased love for Jesus versus just increasing your potential or your knowledge. Whether there's an increased surrender to Jesus versus just looking for an opportunity to improve and to gain. 
If you cannot say that there is nothing beneath my security, there is nothing beneath my social standing, there is nothing beneath my glory, my self-worth, deep down it's the same thing as saying, God, I'm coming to you and you owe me a better life. Jesus Christ is just a role model to you. If your social standing and if your glory is worth more, then really you're coming to Jesus to advance that cause. And you're saying, Lord, I just want to improve. And you can most often see this when things go wrong in your life because you see it when things start to go really wrong in your life. That's when you start to see what you really value, what you really treasure. And you start to see that in the smugness and in the skepticism and in the cynicism and in the pride and in the gossiping and in the complaining and oftentimes the fighting that takes place in the church. And you see the way people step over one another and the way people ignore other people, particularly in holidays you see this, when people ignore other people because of their pride, because of their dignity, because of who we think we are, because of what we think we deserve. You're saying, I need to be special. I need to be seen. I need to feel special. It's natural to think this way. It's absolutely natural to think this way. We treasure our wealth. We treasure our social standing. We treasure the work we do. And we're willing to take a lot of time. We're willing to sacrifice a lot of time and education for these kind of things. We're oftentimes not willing to touch certain people. We're We're oftentimes not willing to go near certain types of people because socially it's going to ruin us. If you think about it, we oftentimes not like to to take or sacrifice uh, our investment in ourselves, in our well-being, in our health, to touch certain people. Think about it. When you're in high school, let's face it, when you're in high school, and it's not much different now, there are certain people you're taught, you kind of grow up learning that you don't go near. When you're in high school, there are certain people that you absolutely want to be near and certain people that you shouldn't be near. And it's because certain people are like feet. The closer you get to them, their social stink gets on you. And if you hang around with them too long, you become smelly. That's what happens. Your social standing starts to decrease. And that's why even today we only like to hang around with socially attractive people. Here, Mary lowers her hair, her glory. She sacrifices her glory for the feet of Christ. And she transfers his stink, in a sense, to her own. The technical term for that, that transfer, is imputation. It's an amazing, it takes a certain kind of humility to be able to do that. It takes a certain kind of confidence to be able to do that. It takes a certain kind of lowering of yourself to be able to do that. Now, Mary is not saying, I need to serve more. She's not rationalizing this. She's not taking a step back and saying, I need to serve more. I need to be more religious because there's a lot of religious people in this party, so I need to be more religious. Religious people can't do what Mary did. Think about it. They were outraged. The disciples were outraged by Mary. The disciples, everyone in the room, they're all religious people. Religious people like to pour out, but they can't. They like to actually pour out. They like to go to the feet, but they can't let their hair down. That's too disgraceful. It's too shameful for them. They can only let down their hair in private among people who've actually welcomed them in. Only among people who they have an assurance that they're in, they can do that. They can serve, they can go to the feet, 
but they can't sacrifice their glory. They can't sacrifice their shame in a sense. And therefore, as a result, religious people never are sure about where they stand. They're never sure. They're always insecure. And they're always working for approval. And as a result, they're serving and they're going to the feet for that approval. And as a result, they're always concerned about their reputation and how they look and whether or not people are talking about them, good or bad. They're always concerned about their status, even in the church. And as a result, they have no confidence. They might have a radical generosity, but they don't have a radical confidence. They might have a radical humility, but they will never have a radical confidence as a result. Irreligious people are no different. They have no problems letting their hair down. They have no problems sharing what is private or being, becoming open, especially in this community society that we live in today. They have no problems sharing their dirt, giving up their glory, but they can't pour out. They can't lower themselves. And as a result, they're still working to find their own security. They're still working to find their social identity and their glory and their worth. Do you get that? They're still looking for their status. They're still trying to figure out whether or not, whether or not uh, uh, where they stand. Mary's not doing this to be noticed. Mary's not doing this. In fact, she knows she's not noticed. She's a woman in a patriarchal society. She did this, why? Out of intimacy. To be near Christ because she knows she, she's loved by Jesus. And as a result, that love powers her risk. It empowers her. She's able to pour out and let her hair down. Second Samuel, there's a kind of an interesting passage in Second Samuel. Very early on the book, the king, David, regal king, wants the ark to be brought into Jerusalem. Because up until this time, God is kind of on the periphery of Jerusalem. And so he has the ark brought back, and it's been, it's been out there almost for decades. And so he wants the ark, which represents the presence of God, to be brought in. And as the ark, after a long narrative, as this ark is being brought into Jerusalem, David starts to sing, and David starts to dance to the point where he dances naked. And there in the presence of the ark, he's being ridiculed by his own wife. Why does he endure that ridicule? It's because of intimacy. God is near. So Mary is able to surrender herself, surrender her glory, surrender her dignity, surrender her pride, surrender her wealth because of Jesus, because she treasures Jesus. Now, what does she see about Jesus that enabled and empowered the surrender? That's the last point. This thing, this sacrifice was beyond cost. It was a year's wages, beyond anyone's investment. If you think about it, if you take your annual salary, whatever it is, anybody's salary, take your annual salary in your context right now and put it all into one gift and then just break that gift. That's what Mary pretty much did. For that one person you love, take your year's salary and just throw it away you instantly become poor. Think about it. If you take your year's salary and sacrifices, throw it away, instantly you become poor. Instantly you're at a loss. Your P&L goes negative instantly. Instantly what happens is you go in debt. Mary sees beyond that debt. Mary sees beyond that cost. What does she see? Mary, it's much like in Matthew chapter 13, Mary sees this treasure that's hidden in a field. Mary sees a pearl of great price. There's nothing above it. There's nothing more costly than this. 
She sees the value and the treasure of who Jesus is. Now, what she's saying is, your relationship with Jesus, if you have it, is so valuable that there's nothing that she's not willing to give up. That's why she surrenders. That's why she sacrifices. In verses 7 to 8, Jesus says, she did this for my burial. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, Mary gets it. Mary sees me. She knows I'm going to die soon. Yes, Mary saw the worth of Jesus. She saw the beauty of Jesus. But she saw something that nobody else in the room saw at that time. The disciples didn't see it. Throughout the Gospels, Mary is always at Jesus' feet. She's always learning. In Luke chapter 10, Martha is working and slaving over this meal. Where's Mary? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. What does she learn? What does she see? Each time, in chapter 11 of John, right, what we looked at last week, we have Lazarus who passed away. Martha comes before Jesus. What does Mary do? Mary falls at the feet of Jesus. And there, again, what is she doing? She's always there. She's learning and she's listening. Each time, Martha gets rebuked. In Luke chapter 10, Martha's rebuked. Mary has chosen what is better, Jesus says. Martha gets a teaching. Mary never gets a teaching. In chapter 11, Martha gets a teaching about Jesus being the resurrection and the life. But Mary, she never gets a teaching because she observes and she sees Jesus. She sees the compassion of Jesus. Jesus is moved in front of Lazarus. Jesus weeps in front of Lazarus. She recognizes and witnesses Jesus' power, the power of his word. She bring, he brings Lazarus back from the dead. In the book of John, prior to this, naz, this narr, narr, narrative, uh, we see in chapter 11, the word love prior to chapter 11 appears only seven times. Seven times in the entire first half of the book of John. But from chapter 11 on, as we said, the word love appears over 50 times. So as we hone in in the last 10 chapters, the second half of the book of John, focusing on the last moments before Jesus is crucified, the word love is amplified. Amplified over seven times. And from this time on, this point forward in the book of John, the tide starts to change. We see in the last several verses of this passage that people start to plot against Jesus. They plot against Lazarus. Mary's starting to listen. She's always listening. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And now she's listening and she's observing. She sees the plotting and she gets it. She sees the crowds and the tide is starting to change. She sees the plotting, but she sees the power of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus. And in this passage, she's at Jesus' feet again and she realizes someone is going to pay the price in all of this. Jesus is going to pay. Jesus wept at the feet of Lazarus, at the loss of Lazarus. So what does Mary do? She enters into this room. She pours this perfume, wipes Jesus' feet with her hair, and she's weeping at the loss of Christ. And Jesus says, Mary is preparing for my burial. She's overwhelmed at the loss of Jesus. 
The loss of Lazarus moved Jesus. But the loss of Jesus is moving Mary. It's an amazing act out of gratitude. In this season of Thanksgiving, it's an amazing act of gratitude. It's motivating her to surrender, motivating her to give everything that she has. She's saying, this is so important. I must do this. You know, other motivations hammer us into surrender. Most motivations in our lives take a lot of work, hammer us into change, hammer us into sacrifice. There's lots of struggle hammering us into obedience. But if look at Mary. She sees Jesus for who, she, who he is. She sees his love. Look at the love of Christ. Look at the compassion of Christ. Look at the grace of Jesus, the power of Jesus. It's melting her into surrender. Now, if you're saying, I can't keep up with this. I can't bear the weight of these expectations around me. I can't bear the weight of sacrifice around me. You have to stop because you're still feeling the hammer. You're still feeling the hammer. You're still experiencing the hammer in your life. You need to give in. You need to see Jesus and give in. Surrender. Jesus Christ on the cross took that hammer for you. Let that truth melt you into the love of God. Mary saw that. Do you see that? Mary saw. Do you see? Mary saw the gospel. She poured her life out because she knew that Jesus would pour his life out for her. Because on the cross, the exact radiance of God, sweeter than perfume, was broken for us. On the cross, Jesus' blood was poured out before the feet of the very people who despised him. Jesus' blood would fill the air, the smell of death. And when he cried out, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? You, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is the hammer of God's wrath, the weight of sin is on me. God has abandoned me. My security, my inheritance has been given up. I've lost all standing before God. I've lost God altogether. I've lost the Father. I've lost my glory. I've emptied myself. I'm being poured out. I'm being emptied. And he wiped away our sin. He wiped away our mess. On the cross, the stink of our sin was placed on Christ so that his blood would be poured out for us. And that would be a fragrant offering, a fragrant perfume, the most beautiful perfume to satisfy the wrath of God. Do you see that? And so on the cross, Jesus cries out, you've forsaken me, no glory. I have no glory. Jesus bore the wrath of our sin so that we could bear the presence of God. Jesus bore the weight of our sin. Why? So that we could bear the love of God. We could bear the glory of God. Jesus gave up everything. And, be, and, and you know what? Just him coming near, him coming to this world, the advent is the anticipation of the coming of Christ. Just by him coming near, the stink of sin is pouring on him. Why? So that he would transfer his righteousness to us. That's what happened on the cross. Jesus Christ gave in. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What he's saying is I'm giving in. I'm surrendering. Why did he do that for you? You would only die. You would only sacrifice your life. You would only give up your life for the thing that you treasure most. Jesus Christ treasured you. He treasures his people the most. He sees you. 
And when you see that Jesus is willing to sacrifice his life and sacrifice his treasure, being abandoned by God himself, by what he treasured most in his life, that means you are his riches. And when you see that you are his riches, and when you see that Jesus Christ treasured you, you will see that and treasure him. You will see that, and you will see that he is worth giving your all. When you see that Jesus Christ gave up his all for you, then you will be willing to give up your all for him. Jesus Christ will become your treasure. Jesus Christ becomes the sum of all your worth. Jesus Christ becomes your wealth. There is your ultimate worth. There is your security. There is your status. There is your glory. To close this time, in Psalm chapter 22, verse 14, it's really about Jesus. It's a, it's a prophetic psalm about Jesus. And there, it's Jesus' own words. Really what he's saying is, I'm being poured out like water. Paul in Philippians chapter 2, he says, I'm being poured out like an offering and I gladly rejoice. You can't be poured out unless you see what's been poured out for you. Look to the cross and today as we respond and as we share in this blood being poured out, as we share in this body being broken for us, we can say, you owe me nothing because you've gave up everything. You owe me nothing because you gave up everything. And therefore, I can offer everything to you. Do you believe that? Do you see that? Who is Jesus Christ? The hardest thing to give is in. Today, will you give in to him? Will you give up for him? Will you give all of yourself to him? Today, will you give up your children and your wealth and your career and your standing and your reputation and say all these things, all these things I can give up. It's like the feet. I can give it up to the feet of Christ because he is worth all. He is my all in all. Can you believe that? Can you trust in that? As we come to the table, let's, as one body and as community, share in that. Let's pray, shall we?